Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to some of the most unique comedians and performers across the world that help comedians like you and me chase the laughs and chase making comedy a full-time thing, but on our own terms. Now, today's guest is a man who has learned from Marcus Aurelius, the great emperor of Rome, a man who has spoken to Epictetus. He is a man who has learned about Stoicism, a man who has made an entire hour show on Stoicism and comedy. And he today is going to talk about how Stoicism can help us as comedians. Please welcome the fantastic, the stoic, Michael Cannell. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. Are you feeling stoic, Michael? Uh, probably not. I'm not the greatest. I'm a fan of stoicism. I'm a student of stoicism. I'm not the, I'm the, not the most uh, stoic of persons. Maybe that's why it appeals to me. And tell us a bit about, like, for anyone that doesn't know what stoicism is, what is stoicism in a nutshell? And what got you into it as well? As so stoicism is an ancient philosophy uh, developed in Greece and then later taken to uh, the Roman Empire. Um, it basically is uh, a way of thinking about life that stresses importance of focusing on what you can control and what you and and learning to be unaffected by what you can't control uh a lot of people suggest it's uh, similar to buddhism the philosophy of buddhism but it's more of a western sort of way uh it's yeah it's it's a fascinating ancient way of looking at life that's over two thousand years old and still very applicable to today what do you think makes it such a, an applicable um, philosophy now as opposed to others? I, I would say that it's because human, human nature doesn't change. The problems we face now uh, are still the problems they were facing back in ancient Rome. Um, uh, I, I, I like reading all the ancient uh, Stoic writers uh, you, you mentioned Marcus Aurelius in the intro. Uh, he was an emperor of Rome. You can read uh, his meditations, which is basically his diary. He wrote in it when he was at war in Germany. And he wrote in it daily all these uh, little uh, aphorisms that helped him remember his stoicism and keep it in mind. Helped him deal with what he was facing every day. And it's amazing that 90% of it is still so relatable now. Uh, like a, a few of it, if the few bits that aren't are, are really interesting. He has sections where he's like, uh, you know, be kind to your slaves. Um, you know, don't get taken in by fortune tellers reading the organs of slain birds and whatnot. But aside from that, it's all about uh, dealing with people who are rude, uh, not letting jealousy get to you, um, focusing and becoming your best self. And these are sort of things that everyone deals with. Hmm. It, 
it is a great thing. I, I mean, it's something that I want to also get into as well. And I feel like meditation and that are two things that I really want to study a lot more. However, one of the things that I came across maybe about a year and a bit ago, there was this mad um, Thai woman who claimed to meditate for four years. No, not four years. That that's I mean, like four four hours a day. And like, All right. But she she was a bit. Uh, she was she wasn't in any way sort of stoic or calm at all. Like sometimes when I come across people that do meditations and all that, they ain't what they claim. And I found that it's I don't know. I feel that sometimes stoicism and meditation gets a bit of a bad rap. And some of the people that claim to be this this spiritual or something aren't. But I, I think a lot of people I know that do it well, are quite calm and relaxed with it. I can't say I'm much of a meditator myself, um, but I think that's why stoicism appeals to me. A lot of people have I mentioned before, people have mentioned that uh, stoic philosophy is kind of like Buddhist philosophy. But when I was a kid, I, uh, I was interested in you know, reading a lot of different philosophies looking at you know ways to look at the world and i read a lot about zen and zen's all that sort of meditation uh emptying the mind um turning off thought that's the sort of approach and sounds nice but i've always struggled to do it and i found it very hard uh, you know, think of nothing. How do you think of, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been able to do that. And when I got older and I stumbled across stoicism, uh, that really appealed to me because it's trying to uh, achieve the same things in life, which is a, a, a tranquility, uh, 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 eudaimonia, the Stoics say, uh, a happy flourishing of life. Uh, and it's trying to achieve that, but through logical thought. So it's a more Western way of thinking, which which resonates more to me. Hmm. Maybe it'll appeal to you. Maybe you should have a read of that. Maybe try less uh, of the of <laughs> the meditation, less standing around that. Maybe uh, read some of uh, you know, the Enchiridion, which uh, I, I found really useful. I also found a lot of CBT. I don't know if you know the work of Albert Ellis. He was a uh, therapist who in, I believe it was the 50s, he read a lot of the Stoics and he developed uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, um, which basically is like a more secular, uh, modernised form of Stoicism. But it's the same sort of thing. It's trying to achieve uh peace and happiness within yourself through logically looking at your problems yeah and not being too wishy-washy yeah 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 i think that's i think that's a big appeal to stoicism the practicality of it, it what's when you tell people that you're 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 studying you're big into stoicism do you get funny reactions from people do people take the piss a little bit or roast you a bit sometimes uh my wife certainly does uh, <laughs> it's it's very awkward having um filmed and written an entire show about stoicism 
because then whenever I get upset or annoyed or <laughs> disgruntled about anything at home, my wife is like, didn't you do an entire show about how you didn't get upset about things, how you shouldn't sweat the small stuff? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. This is why I always say whenever someone introduces me, uh, they're like, oh, he's he's a stoic or he's in. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a student of stoicism. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm trying to improve. I, I'm certainly not a master by any by any means. Have you come across anyone who you feel is a stoic master in like in person? Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. I think. I think I think studying stoicism and learning stoicism uh, makes you realize uh, sort of sort of builds this sense of humility within yourself. Uh, and I don't think anyone I've certainly not met anyone who claims to be a stoic master. Um, I, I've done podcasts and I've done Skype calls and chats with people like uh, Massimo Pigliucci and uh, Greg Sadler, um, who are great online philosophers. Check out their work on YouTube. Um, and I think, I think I'm pretty sure even they say, you know, they're, uh, they're students of stoicism, you know, or they're aspiring stoics. They're, uh, you know, they're on the road to sagehood. They're, they're not there yet. So, yeah. So it's the difference between that and perhaps Buddhism is that they don't claim to be a complete master of spirituality or thoughts or handling. Yeah, things. yeah. I, I certainly don't mean anyone who's like, yeah, ah, I've, I've worked it all out. <laughs> I suppose that's what diff that's what makes the difference between a philosophy and a cult, right? <laughs> yes. Like I've worked it all out. I need to sign up to my course. <laughs> send me money like a life coach thing yeah yeah absolutely what how did um so since you did what what's a can i ask a little what's what, what's a cheeky little tip that you do when applying stoicism to like your morning or like when things get a bit awry how do you get like a piece of paper you write stuff down or do you sing to yourself with stoicism? What, 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 <laughs> I don't know, but everyone's different. But what do you do? How do you apply stoic philosophy when you're in your morning? I probably should do that sort of stuff. Uh, in, in, you know, when you, when you learn about CBT, they always have worksheets and stuff you have to work out. But uh, if I'm honest, what I do is when I'm upset about something, I, I get angry, I have a rant, and I go on a very unstoic, and then I've learned to take a pause and think about it and think about uh, the dichotomy of control, which is a big uh, idea within philosophy, in stoic philosophy, which is that there are some things that are within our control and there are some things that are not in our control and the things that are in your control basically it's your thoughts and how you react to things not so much everything else and uh so once i start thinking about that i go okay okay what can i do how can i change the way i look at things to change the way i feel about things and then i'm a bit better so i think i think i get there eventually 
and I like to think I'm improving and I'm getting better at, you know, taking, getting to that point where I pause and think about the dichotomy. Uh, but it's certainly not instant. Hmm. This, but this, one of the things I've found with Stoicism, there's a lot of philosophers on it. Like you've got obviously Marcus Aurelius, who's a big famous one. You've got Epictetus. You've got, as you mentioned, modern ones like Greg Sadler and what was the other guy you mentioned? Sorry, I've forgotten him. Uh, Massimo Pigliucci. Yeah, but there's a lot of, there's so many different philosophers. How do you sort of, how do you sort of compress it into the things that are relevant to you? For the I think the great thing about uh, Stoicism is it's a practical philosophy. It's constantly changing. Um, what what it I'm like all sort of philosophies, movements, interests. There are people who are like, ah, oh, you know, traditional Stoicism. I want to follow it this way, like they would have done in ancient Rome. There are people who are like, no, we've got to update it. I'm like, if it works for you, that's what you should do, right? Read a lot of it. Take what works. If there's stuff that doesn't work, don't do that. Um, I'm a big fan of Marcus Aurelius's writings. He was uh, a very insightful thinker. Um, he also, uh, you know, sent Christians to the Colosseum and he invaded Germany. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do any of those things anytime soon. Not yet, not yet, but there's still time. No, not yet. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? It's now, how do you sort of when you did the our show, what was the reception from it in Australia? Uh, it was very positive. Um, I, I spent quite a lot of time writing it and then I performed it at uh, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. Um, if I remember rightly, I also performed at the Adelaide Fringe. Um, and then I was performing bits and pieces of it at comedy clubs uh, around Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane for a while. Um, people were, people were uh, very positive, very interested. Um, a, a lot of a lot of the time, I didn't introduce it as look. This is this is a show about philosophy. Um, if I was doing like a short fifteen minute set uh, at a comedy club, I'd just go into here's a bit of material that you know from the show that I want to test out, and then I'd perform it. And what I wanted was uh, for that I wanted audiences to be able to relate to it to go, oh yeah, that's something that I've experienced in my life and I can get these jokes. I want, I didn't want uh, to develop a show that only, you know, uh, uni students who were studying philosophy might get. So the fact that they liked it and people laughed without knowing, you know, anything about Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or anything like that um, was very encouraging for me. Um, in fact, my, uh, I, I performed, I performed a big section of it at a comedy club, uh, the first time I met my wife. So, uh, I got a wife out of it, <laughs> <laughs> <That's brilliant. laughs> I, which I think is a, I think is a glowing endorsement of, uh, the material. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, comedy, comedy does a lot of things. I mean, one of the things about comedy is it's extremely addictive when it goes well. But I mean, it, it does, it does. Yeah, the thing is, we get to air a lot of our thoughts and on that we sh that a lot of people keep hidden onto stage, which is that's true. And it's a great art form, but at times there's a lot of rubbish in it, and I feel that stoicism is one of the things that will help manage a lot of the crap. Yeah, I I know there's a lot of people who like the sad clown image of of comedians as this sort of stereotype all the comedians are secretly depressed i don't firstly i don't know if comedians are more depressed than other people but you know i i, I think you can you can talk about it more than in other industries and that's certainly true um also comedy is a really like it's a great job i love doing it i love performing stand-up uh, but it's a really hard industry. Off stage, it is excruciating, you know? Like, you travel across the country, you perform in some pub, there's three people who are trying to watch, you know, the horse race that's playing in the corner, and then, you know, and then you get paid with half a sandwich and you go sleep in your car. You know, <laughs> then then people are like, why are all the comedians depressed? Oh, isn't that a weird coincidence? Uh, no, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's, that's like saying, isn't it weird how all these coal miners have black lung? Isn't it weird how all these people with black lung get into coal mining? No, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's you become a comedian, then you become depressed, I think, sometimes, you know? Yeah, yes, because so the think, pay so bad. Yes, I think that, yeah, the, yeah, you're right, you're right. The pay's bad, there's constant travel, you're away from family, friends, it's very lonely, you're very isolated a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I think having some sort of framework, some way to look at life, uh, yeah, a philosophy to approach things when things get tough can definitely come in handy. Yeah, I think that too. It, it's definitely, it's, and we, we are very... Um, it seems that, yeah, it's a it's a funny old industry in that there isn't as much. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the UK, there is equity which helps actors and performers. But I feel that comedy is something that is doesn't really have. It's not as regulated as other industries. Yeah, and that's it's it, australia is very much the same we have the meaa the uh which is like the actors actors and entertainers guild and i think comedians can join but they but most comedians don't because i believe they don't really do it like you know you go on their website and they're like yeah when you're filming a scene we'll make sure you can get breaks and you know here you can get reimbursed for auditions or something like that there's very little they're, they're not focused on comedy as an industry um and i mean it's exciting i see i have friends who are you know actors and musicians and i see the world they work in and it's it's interesting that they can get you know grants funding that sort of stuff but that also means the their industry is shaped by that so, you know, yeah, I remember in 
way back in 2001. It was the cell, it was the uh, centennial of Australia's founding. Australia had been a country for a hundred years, and then suddenly there, you saw all these plays come out about the you know <clears throat> the first prime minister Edmund Burke, the first prime minister of Australia, and all this. Why? Because there was a lot of funding around that year, because you know it was the right year for it. You know, and I don't know, I don't know what the the funding uh, drive is now, but I'm sure there'll be all these shows all around the same theme because they're the funding's out there for it. Whereas comedy, you know, there's not a governing body. Uh, the government's not interested. Arts bodies aren't interested in. So that means whatever you see is completely created by comedians just thinking it up, throwing it out to an audience. Does the audience like it? They do more of that, you know, which is exciting, you know, because they can create anything and anything can happen, you know. Sometimes that's things that shouldn't happen. I think one of the things <laughs> that I've seen on stage is someone uh, pissing to a bottle on stage. I've seen that happen. I've seen um, someone do a strip show and make that funny, which was quite... <laughs> uh, there's all sorts of goes on as comedy. Whatever, especially, yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen in comedy. It's, That's true. That's the excitement of it, right? You don't know what the audience are going to do as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh. that's true. That's true. It's... Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating industry because it's very up close and audiences can kind of, there's not that fourth wall. You can just sort of reach out and make anything happen. And I suppose that's the thrill. I certainly learned, when I was starting out, I had to learn that. I, I was a, I was a, a a kid who was very into acting. I was one of the drama club geeks at, at high school. And when I started doing stand-up, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a one-man play that I'll write. And I had to learn that what people want, even though it's very prepared and it's very rehearsed, people, when they come to a comedy show, they don't want to think it's, it's it's an illusion. You're on stage and you have to try and make it seem like, hey, he's just making it up off the top of his head. Anything could happen. And the best shows are when comedians can improvise a bit, throw something out, and, you know. Yeah, that's, that's that live excitement. This is again why Zoom gigs, you know, during the pandemic, we had all these Zoom gigs and they just didn't catch on because it's it's too removed. You lose that magic. I, I yeah, I really enjoy that. I, I like, I, I enjoy the more than anything else is the bit where you interact with the crowd. And then you just say something, and they say something completely absurd, or you get some really funny stories out of people. That 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 I enjoy more than anything else when I'm on stage. Yeah, it can be really magic, and I I love seeing. I do a little crowd work from time to time, and I like to think I've got better at it over the years, but uh, not the greatest. Uh, but I always love when I go somewhere and I see some guys who are just bam 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 just riffing off the crowd you know take some story blend it into something else it's amazing it's there's a few comics where the entire act is just crowd work there's um yeah. i know ben vanderveld did an hour show based on crowd work and then there was another there's a 
two comments called Russell Hicks <coughs> and Patrick Monaghan in the UK, who all they do mostly is crowd work, and it's absolutely brilliant. Like, um, really? Russell Hicks went on the Comedy Store Gong Show, where, do you have gong shows in Australia? We, yeah, we have gong shows, yeah. Okay. He, he, he went on, and the gong, the Comedy Store gong show is notorious, and all he did was rip mm. the crowd and take the piss out of them, and he, he conquered it. It was wow. it, it was absolutely incredible. And I spoke to an American comic and he says that some comics shit on comics who just do crowd work. Or he sees that as something as being really amazing. He's he he's more interested in that than just comics that just do material. And I think there's sort of two yeah. votes to that. It's look, it's certainly a skill. It's it's one, it's a great skill to have. <laughs> when you're when you're a comedian, you never know what you're going to be hit with. When a heckler comes out, it's good to be able to come out back with something, or something weird happens in a gig. You know, you're able to throw out some crowd work. Um, it also like when you do small crowds, it's good to get them on side. If you just like bam bam material, it's just too much. Um, but it's a, I think it's amazing when people can do it well. It's great. It's what one of the things I found uh, that. So my my sort of comedy is I do wacky things on stage, and I expect it to go one way, but it goes the other way. Right. So I do right. magic tricks, and they fail, and and that gets the big laugh. And a lot of people can't tell whether I do the tricks deliberately wrong, or they are actually wrong. And that's the right. that's the I I won't reveal what combination of it is true and what combination of it is false but it's uh that's what i do to get laugh and that one thing i have found that when you perform when you're doing a new material night and you're trying to test some stuff out and it's only comics they don't like that sort of thing if but when it comes to if there's audiences they don't they they like it and they're part of it and they they enjoy enjoy it when i do that that's what i found when i'm developing new material that's Definitely true. Comedians, you know, comedians have a different sense of what they like and what audiences like, which is is weird. I recently, I, I, I learned to juggle in high school and I spent a lot of time juggling through high school. And then when I started, I started moving away from that and getting into comedy, and then I only did comedy. And over the last, I don't know, three or four years, I, I, I thought, oh, I wonder what would happen if I mixed the two together. And audiences loved it. Um, and I know comedians like it as well. But for me, before I ever did it, I always thought, oh, no, I just want to be just, just a comedian, just a pure stand-up. But... Uh, Audiences don't have that, uh, they don't have that line. They don't have that. They're not, oh, they love anything, right? When, when comedians see someone, you know, bring out some juggling balls or that, they're like, oh, he's a prop act or he's a variety act. Audiences don't think that. They just want, they just want funny, you know? I'm sure it's the same with your magic tricks. The audiences are like, this is hilarious. This is great, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what I found. It's, it's, and I had a funny situation a while ago. I don't know what you think of this, but I play Zorro on stage. That's the new thing that I've developed. It's a bit daft. Cause I'm Zorro? Or- yeah, I'm an oriental guy pretending to be Zorro, putting on like the like, accent and the costume. 
yes yes with i the, play that the mask and the yeah, yeah, sword yeah. The, okay. the audience is like that because they can tell obviously this is a bad impression of him and i look right daft in it and i put on the voice and i say hello senorita my name is zolo hello uh, but comedians don't like it and i've performed in front of spanish mexican audiences all of that and they find it daft and funny because i do it so badly but yeah. i found one thing i found really strange is that it's you know, i've i've been called racist by other comics performing it not by the audience but by comics and i found that strange because the people that sh if it is offensive that should be offended by it haven't said anything but people that have no no reason to be a say this and that about it are offended by it which i don't make him any any sense i mean they say that that is a white man's favorite hobby now to be offending other people's behalf <laughs> i don't know but that's yeah people getting offended on other people's behalf is one of the things that i've never quite got mm, mm. it is it is a weird thing when people get upset about they're like, oh, that would be offensive to someone else. They've, they've thought it through and, you know, I haven't had that a lot, but I have had it once or twice. People come up and usually they've been drinking a lot. And they've come, <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to say straight out, look, you go home. You've had too, too many. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm like, you haven't quite listened. And often it's, you know, it's, it's an audience of, you know, 50, 100 people. You know, one person comes up and says, oh, that wasn't right. You're like, well, what about the other 99 people who were in the crowd? You didn't, you didn't notice that none of them were getting upset? You don't think maybe you got it wrong you know maybe you weren't maybe you were texting or something and you half heard what i was saying um i i don't know i i did a routine ages ago um i i, I have a day job where i'm a kids entertainer and i was doing a routine about how i performed in a hospital for sick kids and some lady came up after the show and she was like, you were making fun of those kids. Why were you mocking sick children? I was like, whoa, I don't, whoa. I, like one, no, I wasn't. You've not listened to what my material was. Two, you didn't notice that no one else thought I was mocking sick. What did you think? Like, like it was very hard for me to get in the mindset of this lady that she thought this crowd of like a hundred people had just laughed for an hour at me mocking <laughs> hospitalized children. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's but, just you know people people get these ideas in their mind. They hear there's sometimes people have a few words that they think if they hear that and it's in a comedy show, they're like, no, no, no. no. Yeah, it's it's just, um, I think that one of the things that us as comedians do, and this is a comment by one of the other guests I've had on the podcast called Mr. C, and he plays the black and the the mainstream comedy circuit, and he's a pro on both. And he says, one of the things we do as comics is we focus on that one audience that isn't liking it, when we should be focusing on the ones that do like it. 
but we always do that we always focus on the we pay i think don't doesn't don't they say that you need five positive comments to outweigh a negative one and that's, that's we, true. we always focus on like the one that isn't laughing when we sh it doesn't make any sense but, <laughs> but we do that it, that's we need true to stop doing that stop focusing on people that don't if the majority of people like it fuck the ones that don't like it well not literally because you can't but <laughs> <laughs> this is this is true you'll be on a stage you know there'll be a hundred people laugh and you'll see that one guy with his arm crossed you're like what's his problem how can i win him over why do you care let it go i guess this is coming back to stoicism again you got to control what you can control and there's some people who just they'll they'll never like what you've got going on and you just got to forget about them I think with an audience, if the, if I see someone doing that, I'm gonna put my hand in the way, cover my vision in that side. And just, <laughs> hello, just block them out. <laughs> <sighs> when I started out, it's interesting the way comedy has changed over the years. When I started out, I was very much, and I still pride myself on this idea of being able to perform for any audience and being very much more like i want to be able to maybe not all audiences all the time but as best i can do a good show and make most people laugh in, in a wide variety of, of situations um but nowadays we've got the internet we've got youtube if you've got a really weird alternative strange act and like you know you can go out there and you can find your people and find your tribe, build it up, and you can have a career, you know? that's That seems to be a lot of what's going on at the moment. I mean, you have people like Jerry Sadowitz, who's... Do you know of him, Jerry Sadowitz? I know of Jerry Sadowitz, yeah. He's bloody brutal, and when I watched him, I did not really like it, but he's, he has his audience. He says the most brutal, non-apologetic things. And there were people fighting in the audience, which was which I found funny. But he has his audience. There's people that like what he does, and there's not really much you can do about it. Yeah, the the internet's really made having a career much more small and focused. You don't need back in the I don't know. It's it's harder in some ways, and it's easier in some ways. So back in the 50s, if you had a five-minute act that would make 90% of people laugh, you could get on the Ed Sullivan show, do that five minutes, and then you're a star overnight. It was incredibly hard to get on that show. But once you did, you had a career. Now it's like you can have a bizarre act that, you know, a handful of people like. But, you know, th there's that classic... Uh, essay online a thousand true fans by kevin kelly yeah if you get a thousand people out there and with the internet you only got a, finding a thousand people out of whatever seven billion people that are, are on the internet that's pretty easy if you can get out there and find those thousand people if they buy you know one album off you and come see your show once a year you know, they each give you 50 bucks. That's 50 grand a year. You could live off that. That's doable, you know? That's that's one of the thoughts as well. Like, 
in terms of you know when you're traveling up and down the country for comedy gigs or like working for this promoter and i hear so many stories of like acts that are bigger than me they work for a promoter not get paid for one gig and then they'll still go back to him a couple couple months later and like in in some those sort of situations well you may as well put on your own shows and mm. it's a bit of a pain in the admin but at least you control the money that can come in because it the, the pay can be ridiculous at times and then you get this yeah yeah this is very true um i'm uh i'm living in darwin right now darwin's a very uh remote part of australia it's a very top end of australia and not a huge very small population not much of a comedy scene up here and me and a couple other guys we're 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 a bit sick of trying to contact people or traveling into state for work so we've pulled together and we're actually going to do a show in uh one of the guys backyards so he's got he's got a large outdoor uh area it's got decking we're going to bring in some chairs we're going to sell tickets we're going to see how it goes um comedy one of the great things about comedy is it's so low budget you can just make it happen anywhere and it it does seem that when you're putting on the show in comedy people like it because they want to laugh it's it's already a product that people it's not like what's a product that a lot of people that are that's quite niche and people aren't likely to go out for i don't know it's not like an umbrella shop where or what's yeah well it's maybe like maybe like interpretive dance or classical yeah. music you know it's very hard to stage uh it's only a niche audience anyway comedy is hugely popular people love it um and it's very easy to produce you know lights and a microphone you've got a show it's it's amazing what's happened now though the creativity that some people are doing like I think I saw a video of some guy who came over to the UK in Washington. He's doing street comedy and he's now got a viral following on TikTok. I, I can't, I wanted really? to get him on a podcast, but I can't find his name. He did a post to the collective, but yeah, he, he, this is amazing what people are doing now. It's, it's, wow. The, I'm, the, yeah, that, that would be fascinating. I, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but, uh, Dave Chappelle's mentor, uh, when Dave Chappelle got started, there was this guy who would do street stand-up in Washington uh, Square, Square Park, Park in in New York. Ah, uh, I can't remember his name now. I can show you him, and I know who you, exactly he, Charlie Barnett. Charlie, yeah, Charlie Barnett. That's the guy. That's the guy. Amazing, right? And I, I, I think about doing stand-up in the street i'm like that wouldn't work no way and then there's this guy and there's this other guy you're telling me about now it's possible you know never say never but there's also a comedian called Ivor dembina who put up a sign saying two jokes for a pound i i, I there is it's i've tried did to it work how did he go i think he went okay he did a video on it i have to ask him proper detail i'm not like close to him but yeah i think he did to a degree and i i tried a bit of street street magic but yeah it's i find that 10 times more scary than doing comedy for some reason yeah. i've done it a few times but i think 
what I tend to do when I do badly at things is I focus too many things at once. So I think at the end of the year, I'm going to focus more on the street stand up so I can put my mind and energy towards it and try and if my mind's too all over the place, I tend to do crap at everything. So I have to, and I think I've... I'll do it as Zoa rather than me. <laughs> <laughs> go out there and slash some z's on people. yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> i've i've always been um because i do a bit of juggling i've always been fascinated by street performers and you know there's some really amazing guys out there uh and i and i always thought you know i, I could be pretty good i could i could do it but when i talk to street performers they're always like it's like there's there's quite a learning curve. You've got to do a hundred gigs or so before you start finding your feet. You start making money, and I you know I don't make much money from stand up, but I make more than you know fifty cents. Uh, and it's a real hard sell to my wife. Be like, hey, can you just mind you know the kid and stay home while I go down the street for four or five hours to. <laughs> to tell jokes to random strangers to see if I can crack this street stand-up thing. Well, so I've, I've never really given it a try. <laughs> Bring it along. <laughs> it's, I remember I did it once as a, as a, I did a bit of street. I'll show you a little thing I did with a, with a friend of mine a while ago. His name is, uh, he's not doing comedy anymore, but what we did, it did work. Um, it did work, but he, that's because he brought his friends to come and watch us. And that, and it was already a crowd there. So people came in. And I think the hardest bit about street stand up is that is getting the people to cut, to stop and for a crowd. Yeah. Once you have I think that's that, the hardest part of any street performing, right? Yeah, I think so for sure. This is what I did. Ignore that bit there. But we had a few people stop round because he brought in a few friends. So... Facebook, maybe. Or does maybe mean on Yeah, there were people stopped because he brought in the crowd. He brought his girlfriend along as well, but... <laughs> but most... The thing is, when I mentioned street comedy, that a lot of comedians, they get scared and they don't want to do it and they completely avoid it. But if it's not, I mean, there's always a chance you get hit when you're on stage in a regular club. So what's the... It's true. You know, you, you might as well give it a try. And if you're going out and doing some terrible open mic nights, you might as well do a terrible open mic to the people on the train on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got to lose? You know, I, I've still, there was a couple of comics that did it a while ago, and it was quite funny. It worked quite well, but I remember, I remember, I remember uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival did a couple of uh, publicity stunts where they got some people on the on the train with a, you know like a portable microphone to tell. Did not work. It was very. The comedians who were involved tell me it was it was brutally unpleasant. But you know, this is the exciting thing about comedy is is because it's not regulated, it's not controlled. 
you can try these experiments and sometimes they fail and it doesn't work. But sometimes people bring out new things and it goes great. And we've got a new form of comedy now. Yeah, what like TikTok comics. <laughs> could be the next big thing. Who knows? Yeah, we could start a trend. <laughs> now, one of the things I want to ask you, like towards the end of the, like, the podcast, is like, what, what do you think the how has comedy shaped you as like a comedian and as a person, and how has it helped you, and what do you see happening in 20 years in comedy? How do you think it will change? I think comedy has helped me in life by realizing that everything can be a source of laughter. If you, There's always a joke in everything, even if it's the darkest joke ever. And you just got to find it. So whatever you're going through, you know, they say comedy is tragedy plus time. That's the cliche. Maybe you just try and cut down that time as much as possible. And, you know, it's up to you how long that time is. Just try and cut it down. So I try and do that. I try and whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm having a hard time, I think to myself, what's the funny in this? How can I turn this into material? And even if I never do it on stage, even if it makes me laugh a bit, it makes it easier for me to deal with it. So that's good. Um, where comedy is going in the future? I don't know. It's really hard to predict. I couldn't have imagined comedy would be where it is today. I worked very hard to have a very... Uh, uh, people say, you know, I have a broad appeal, and I'm very proud of that. I worked very hard for that. But I realise now in 2023 that's not as necessary as it was in the past. Um, I think maybe there's a huge, huge glut of comedians, a lot of comedy industries, certainly Melbourne and Sydney have many more comedians than there are spots. So I think whenever industries go like that, you start getting people specialising. So maybe more, maybe I'm sort of doing that sort of stuff so you know i wrote this show about philosophy you know i'm i'm maybe i'm not the greatest most famous comedian but if certainly if you're looking for a comedian with material about stoicism i'm the only game in town so i think probably more of that more comedians specializing in in a topic a something so every comedian maybe in the future will have you know, their thing. They'll be the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the philosophy comedian, the laundromat comedian, the classic car comedian. And then you'll, you know, go around do classic car shows. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but something like that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's true. That's a good bit of things. And could be. And then you roll out merchandise and you have, you know, the social media presence, hashtag classic car comedian. <laughs> Something like that. And for anyone who's listening right now and they're like, Michael, he is a G. He is someone that we need to know about and 
he is he is awesome. How do we find out about you? Uh, you can pretty much find me anywhere online with Michael Connell Comedian. Uh, check out YouTube, Michael Connell Comedian. I'm on Instagram, Michael Connell Comedian. Uh, even my website, michaelconnellcomedian.com. All right. So, guys, you know where Michael is. Don't follow him literally. Just follow him online. <laughs> and that's where you go. And if you want to find out about me, you know where to go with the podcast. Make sure you give it like a five-star view on Amazon or iTunes. And I'll see you at the next episode. I think in the next episode, I'll be talking to a man who has built an audience without social media. Hello, Michael's daughter. <laughs> and we're getting a special guest appearance from my daughter. Hello. Say, say, say hello to everyone. Hello. <laughs> see? <laughs> Take care, guys. I'll see you soon. Thank <music> you.